John chapter number 12. We'll start there in verse number one this morning. The Bible says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper. Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying has she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. I want you to look at verse number 10 one more time this morning. But the chief priest consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Let's pray to Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for the wonderful song service that we've had already this morning. Lord, we thankful, Lord, that you are a chain breaker. And God, that you can take what we cannot do anything with, what we cannot conquer, God, what we cannot overcome by our own power, our own strength. God, you can do miraculous things with it. Lord, you can take lives and completely change them around. You can put homes back together. God, you can make the possible, the impossible possible. We ask you, Lord, this morning that you just work in our hearts, God. I ask you, Lord, that you hide me behind the cross of Calvary. God, would you get me out of myself, Lord, and fill me with the Spirit of God. God, I pray, Lord, this morning you would make preaching what you designed and desire it to be this morning. God, I know who I stand in front of this morning, and Lord, they're just like me. God, we stand in need of help this morning. God, we stand in need of hope this morning. God, we stand in need of all that we cannot do for ourselves this morning. But Lord, we're grateful because in Christ we have all those things. And I ask you, Lord, this morning that you just work in our hearts. Help us to listen on purpose. Help us, Lord, to apply and to practice that which you'll present to us this morning. And I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here this morning, Lord, they don't know you as their personal Lord and Savior. Lord, there's never been a time in their life, God, where by faith they trusted you, repented of their sins, and accepted the free gift of salvation. I pray, Lord, you'd work in their hearts this morning and draw them unto yourself. Help us, Lord, to give you glory this morning. Help us to praise your name. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. John chapter number 12. There's some very familiar people here mentioned in John chapter number 12, first 11 verses here. But what I see this morning as I was studying this, and we're gonna work our way down to verse number 10 this morning by way of introduction is that in John chapter number 12, there's some real exposure of who these people really are. You've ever known somebody that you knew at a distance and you, you knew uh, as an acquaintance, you knew them, but you really didn't know them. 
and then you got to know them and you got closer to them and then you seen them for who they really are and what you had thought before didn't line up with what they really are. We see this take place here in John chapter number 12. Uh, first of all, we see a lady by the name of Martha and what we learn about Martha is that she is a servant. Martha serves. Martha loves the Lord. Martha knows the Lord. She has a relationship with God. The Bible tells us in chapter number 11 that when her brother Lazarus is dead, that Martha is the one that goes out to the Lord and, and tells him and begs him to come and do something for Lazarus. We understand, but she is a servant. I can see Martha in there and, and she is just as happy as can be. She's baking, she's getting all that stuff together. She's presenting it to the Lord. Something like some of you sweet ladies do on fifth Sunday dinner. Preacher, I made you this. Preacher, I made you that. And you bring it to me and you're excited. And I'm thinking, my, my goodness, if I eat all that in one sitting, I will no longer be the preacher. Somebody will be preaching my funeral if I try to eat all that in one time. But I can see her, she's enjoying out. There is a flip side to service that when we get our eyes off of where they're supposed to be and our focus becomes what is our reward and what we ought to, what we think we deserve, our worship, but our worship, but our service can take a hit. We know that in the, the account in the other gospel, Mary, Martha goes to the Lord and tells the Lord, hey, tell my sister Mary to get in here and help me. We see that sometimes there is a, a negative side to service. But then we see Mary. And Mary reveals her true self to us. Mary is a worshiper. Mary is a worshiper. Anytime you find Mary in the word of God, it's not long and she's at the feet of Jesus. She's in his presence. Verse number three, it says that then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair and the house was filled with the odor of ointment. Now I know on Sunday nights we've been tackling this, uh, the, 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 the topic of worship but we see it first here, here in, in Mary's life. We see that real worship is costly. The Bible says she took a pound of ointment, spike nerd, which was very costly. The commentator said that more than likely that which she put on to the Lord Jesus Christ, that which she busted open and gave to the Lord was a year's worth of wages. Could you imagine coming in on one Sunday morning <laughs> and telling the, the, your family and telling all those that depend upon you and said, hey, this year, I'm not, all my paychecks I'm gonna give to the Lord. Well, that would be a costly statement, wouldn't it? And that's what Mary is. She's brought that which she's saved up and she's anointed the Lord with it. Well, notice where it brought her to. It didn't necessarily lift her up in the eyes of the people. It brought her to the feet of Jesus. And the Bible says not only was she, and I, I found this out, they said that, the washing of feet when one entered into the house was not the job of the homeowner. It was not the job of the homeowner's family. It was not even the job uh, of the other, those that were visiting. It was the job of a slave. And here is Mary who has humbled herself into the position of a slave, into the position that it's not about her. She has bowed herself before the Lord. The Bible says that she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. Bible tells that the hair is a, glory, is, is a woman's glory. There she is. In essence, she's saying, all that I am is the Lord's. We see Martha, she's a worker. Mary was a worshiper. And then we see Judas, and Judas was a weasel. Look at verse number five. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? 
Judas was a weasel. Notice his insincere assessment. (laughs) We could have used this money more wisely. We could have have used this ointment more wisely and and sold it and give that money to the poor. And the Bible says in the next verse, but Judas didn't say that because he actually cared about the poor. Judas just wanted more money in the bag because Judas' mind says more money in the bag is more money in my pocket. More money for me. And here's the thing, you can always tell a selfish person. You can always find a selfish person in the crowd because they're the ones who get upset by other people's worship because there's no direct benefit to them. Selfish people always see worship as a waste. And I love Jesus' response in verse seven and eight. He sets the record straight. He says, Judas, you always have the poor, but I will not be with you always. We understand this is right before the triumphal entrance into Jerusalem, Calvary, the resurrection, the ascension of the Lord. We understand that this morning in the timeline of things. But what Jesus was also saying was, Judas, you've had the poor around you the whole time. You've been walking with me for three and a half years and I ain't seen you give a single dime to the poor. What is Judas doing? Judas is doing what's called virtue signaling. He is trying to make himself look better, look good, has never even done it himself. Judas, Judas was a weasel. Mary was a worshiper. Martha was a worker. But then there's Lazarus. And there's something interesting said about Lazarus in verse number 10. That Lazarus had a specific testimony. That God had taken him from death and brought him to life. And look at verse number 10. But the chief priest consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. I want to preach on this thought this morning, having a testimony that they'll want to kill you for. Having a testimony that they will want to kill you for. Preacher, that is scary. Preacher, that is, that is, that is, that is not what I came to hear this morning. That is what I, I, I think I need in my life. Can I say this morning? I want to have a testimony like Lazarus. I want to have a testimony that is presented here in Lazarus' life, even if, it brings a death warrant into my life. I believe every Christian can have a testimony like Lazarus by noticing the following components of his testimony. I want to give you three components of Lazarus' testimony this morning. And if these are in our life, we can find ourselves in the same position this morning as Lazarus, having a testimony that the world wants to kill. Having a testimony that the Satan wants to kill. Having a testimony that, the, that our flesh wants to kill this morning. Can I say this morning, if I know my testimony is going directly opposite of the world and Satan and my flesh, then it must be right this morning. I want you to notice number one, Lazarus' testimony, he had a clear prognosis. He had a clear prognosis. Look at verse number one. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus, which had been dead. We know where Lazarus was. We know where he was laid. We know the testimony of Lazarus. All this takes place in John chapter number 11. But notice here in verse number one, it doesn't just stop which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There's a clear prognosis in in Lazarus' life this morning. And sometimes as Christians, we struggle with people and we struggle in situations and circumstances where that change isn't so 
evident. It, 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 we, 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 we don't see the immediate change. We don't see what, what we see the, from, from, from black to white, from dark to light, so to speak. There isn't a presumed growth. I, I thought by now, I mean, if they were really saved, I thought by now they would have known this part, known this much. There isn't a, a presumed growth. There's a, and there's, there's multiple reasons why some people don't grow. Sometimes it's a lack of discipleship, a lack of investment. We sit back and we say, well, they, they're safe now. They got it all figured out. They, they know what they're supposed to do. I can leave them alone this morning. Can I say, I've got that newborn baby and she's precious and I, I thank the Lord for her. But here's the thing this morning. If it, if it, if it isn't me or her mama this morning, she ain't gonna get fed. It takes us making things sizable and appropriate for her. And she might get the nutrients she needs. Sometimes people don't grow because there's no investment in them. There's no discipleship. And sometimes it is a lack of determination. They sit back and say, well, now that I'm saved, I got everything I need. I can just go to heaven right now. Salvation is enough. The Bible calls it this way, so as by fire. They got in and they're going to heaven. But not much more after that, so to speak. But then some, some, they remove all doubt. We say it this way, they got the goods. They got it. They got a good dose of the Holy Ghost. Some people put it that way. And we, it's clear, and Lazarus has one of those clear testimonies. There's none of that, well, maybe he really wasn't dead. Maybe he was just sleeping for four days. Lazarus wasn't a teenager. <laughs> he was a grown man. For four days, his body laid in the tomb, so much so those that knew him the most and knew him intimately thought he is done. Matter of fact, when Martha approaches the Lord in John chapter number 11, Jesus asked her if she believes that he could raise him up from the dead and Martha's already figuring into the future. She says, oh yes, Lord, I know there's a resurrection day. I know in the last day you'll raise him up. But Jesus raises Lazarus up after four days. He had a clear prognosis. He's gone from death to life, and it's evident. Lazarus experienced physically what we experience spiritually at salvation. We are brought from death unto life. Ephesians 2, 1, you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins this morning. How did, how did Lazarus go from death to life? Well, you know, he worked hard enough. He gave enough money in the offering plate. You ever seen a dead man give? If you do, get away. <laughs> I thank the Lord for all, all the blessings and the, the offerings that are given in our church, but there's never been somebody from a Catholic say, hey, preacher, while I'm, while I'm laying here, I got 20 more for you. Lazarus didn't work hard enough. Lazarus uh, didn't, didn't give enough. Lazarus didn't do enough good works. Dead men don't work. Well, how did Lazarus go from death to life? He responded to the word of God. He responded to the word of God. John chapter number 11. We know that Jesus steps out to the tomb. And what does he say? Lazarus, come forth. Now, it's not recorded in the scripture. But maybe Lazarus was sitting there in the tomb and he thought, how can I come forth? <laughs> I'm already dead. I've already got this dying thing over with. Nobody's ever come back from death to life. I don't know how in the world this is going to happen. But if God said that he can and he's willing to and he's able to, then I might as well just listen to him. And maybe here this morning you think, preacher, you don't, you don't understand, preacher. You don't know where I come from. You don't know what I've done. 
You don't know where I've been. God would never want to save somebody like me. Can I say he does? And he can. And he will this morning. If you'll just take him at his word. How did Lazarus experience this? He obeyed the word of God. He just did what the Lord told him to. Lazarus, come forth. He said, okay, I will. If God said so, I'll go. The same is true for us, Romans 10, 9. If thou shalt confess with thy, thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved this morning. Last, notice this. Not only did he respond to the word of God, but when he experienced the death to life transformation, he quit living like a dead man. <laughs> he quit living like a dead man. Matter of fact, at the tomb, he comes up, the Bible said he's still bound up. He's still got his hands and his feet bound. He's still wrapped in his grave clothes. What does Jesus tell him to do? Loose him. Loose him. Take the ropes off of him. Take the, the cloths off of him. He is no longer a dead man. But see, there was a choice Lazarus had to make because he knows sooner or later he's going to die again. Could you imagine that? Having got all the, got through that, crossed this Jordan's Chili River, Crossed over into death, crossed over into eternity. Now he's going to go back and do it again. But notice this, Lazarus comes forth, they loose him, and I don't see anywhere else where Lazarus put back on the grave clothes. I can, could you imagine how crazy that would be? Lazarus has been brought back to life, and just all of a sudden he goes, lays back in the tomb, puts the garments back on him, you know, ties his hands back up and says, yes, I'm alive, but I'm going to live like a dead man. Makes absolutely no sense. Don't make no sense for a Christian to do the same thing either. God to deliver us from those things and say, well, you know what, preacher, I'm going to fail anyways. Preacher, I'm going to fall anyway. Preacher, I'm not perfect, so I'm just going to go back to that lifestyle. No, you don't have to do that. The Holy Spirit now dwells inside of you. You can live for God. Galatians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 20, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by my ability. That's not what it says. I live by my strength. That's not what it says. It says I live by the faith in the son, of the Son of God this morning. You can live the victorious Christian life. You can live a life that, is, that has eternal life beaming out of it. Notice this. What happened to Lazarus in John chapter 11 changed Lazarus and how he lived. The same thing is true for us. Think about it this way. You go to the doctor tomorrow and they pull you in that little consultation room and the doctor says, listen, I'm sorry I have to tell you this be the bearer of bad news but you got diabetes you got cancer you're in heart failure would that not change how you live matter of fact most people that I know that have diabetes it changes a lot about their life it changes what they eat it changes what they do it changes how they live their life God has saved us. God has changed our life. He's brought us from death to life. That which was dead is now alive this morning. And how come we don't live like that? Lazarus had a clear prognosis. Do you have, do you have a clear prognosis when it comes to salvation? You know that God has brought you from death unto life and you've purposed in your heart that you are going to live like God desires you to live. Notice number one, Lazarus had a clear prognosis. Notice number two, Lazarus had a clear place. Lazarus had a clear place. Look at verse number two. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Growing up, I grew up in the heyday of television talk shows. 
uh, Oprah, Ricky Lake, Maury Popovich. I mean, when I missed school, that's what my mom watched. And I, can still, I can still remember watching those things. And that was back before Maury was just worried about finding out who everybody's baby daddy was. But I remember one day I, I, I was watching Maury. <laughs> I probably should have been outside playing. Probably would have done me a whole lot more good. But I was sitting there watching, and he had this lady on named Sylvia Brown. And she was a psychic. And she could talk to people, supposedly, on the other side. Loved ones that had crossed over, loved ones that had already passed away. And she would walk around that crowd, and she'd say, I'm seeing somebody with a green T-shirt on. And somebody said, that, that was my grandpa. He always wore a green T-shirt. Well, he told me to tell you that everything's going to be a-okay. As a young boy, I just sat there with my mouth wide open. I thought, how can she do that? How is that possible? How can she communicate to people on the other side? As I grew up, I found out a lot of it's fake. A lot of it, you say, preacher, Maury would lie? Oh, yeah, if it brings money to his pocket. If it entertains you. The majority of that's fake. She can't talk to people on the other side. And those that claim to and those that actually practice, I'd stay away from them. Because they're diving into things and getting into things that are not godly. That are not, don't line up with the word of God. They're playing with devils and demons. But here, I remember seeing that and thinking, how could she do that? But that was reality in Lazarus' life. He had been to the other side. He had gone and left this world and entered into another one. He had seen things that no man had ever seen and came back to talk about it. Just imagine what Lazarus could have done. He could have grabbed him a following. He said, come hear me. I'll tell you what it was like on the other side. I'll tell you what I've seen. I'll tell you what I heard. I've, I, I, I've been on the other side of death and I know what's there. Can I say this morning... I'd have been alive when Lazarus, I would have had to ask him. Lazarus, tell me what it was like. What did you see? But notice here, Lazarus isn't building a following. Lazarus isn't going out and, and drawing a crowd. He isn't trying to be popular. He isn't bringing prestige into his life and power. Where do we find Lazarus? He's at the table with the Lord. <laughs> Lazarus knew. Lazarus knew the only reason why he was alive again was because of Christ. And because Jesus had brought him back to life, he said, I might as well hang around the one that did the impossible in my life and find myself at the table with him. Three things we can learn about the table this morning. One, it's a place of closeness. It's a place of closeness. You've got to realize, the Bible tells us that there was a great crowd that followed the Lord. There's more people in the room, but not all of them at the table. But Lazarus at the table, he's in close fellowship with the Lord. Let me explain it this way. There's a lot of people that I don't mind talking to, I don't mind being acquainted with, I don't mind speaking to, but not everybody is going to come hang out at my dinner table. Not everybody's going to come hang out at my house. It's a place of closeness. Being in the presence of God's people is a whole lot different from being in the presence of God. There's a lot of people there that day in Martha's house, in Mary's house, but yet it only lists for sure that Lazarus was at the table. 
fellowship with the Lord. It's a place of closeness. It's a place of sustainment. Why was Lazarus close to the Lord? Obvious answers. He was living an impossible life. He knew. The only reason why he was there is because of Christ. But also he wanted to be near the one who made it possible for him. He could tell him what to do and how to do it. Word of God this morning. He said, the same voice that called me out is the same voice I want to follow. And he said, I'm going to sit down at this table so I can hear him speak to me. Now this morning, I'm not saying that there's a physical table you can go to. And there the Lord's going to be waiting on you. But he has provided a table for us. That every day we can get up and say, Lord, before I go anywhere else today, I'm going to sit at the table for a little bit. Let you talk to me. Let you speak to my heart. Let you encourage me, strengthen me, convict me. Lord, do what you want through your word this morning. Because, Lord, the same word that brought me eternal life is the same word that's going to tell me how to live the Christian life. It's a place of closeness. It's a place of sustainment. Let me ask you this morning. How active, how often do you read the word of God in your daily Christian life? It's a place of closeness, sustainment. But it's also a place of fellowship. Our society needs more dinner tables. Something that's missing in our, our day and age. I remember growing up being a young boy and with like clockwork, every night we sat down at the dinner table and we talked and we ate. It's missing nowadays. It's one of the things as our family we strive to do. To have at the end of the day when we come together, we eat dinner. We eat dinner together. Ain't no phones, no TVs. We turn all that off. We talk to each other. Because it's home. It's a place of fellowship. My wife's grandmother has an issue with her leg right now. She's having trouble getting around. And so we've been cooking dinner for this week. And the kids have been taking it down to Becky's grandma's house and eating dinner with her. <laughs> and uh, her mom was, Becky's mom was asking us if we could do that. And uh, we said, yeah, that's no problem. We can do that. So she called back Becky's grandma. And we got to chuckling about it. She said, because there's anybody on our property that she wanted to eat dinner, their dinner, it was our family's. She said, because y'all eat good. <laughs> we chuckled about that. But here's what I found out. She's enjoyed our dinner. But now, the past week, our kids, Braylon and TR, have been going down there eating dinner with her. And she's enjoyed the fellowship more than she's enjoyed the food with them. <laughs> well, TR, we, we, we cooked up some fish and Brussels sprouts last night and wild rice, and it was delicious. T.R. don't like none of that stuff. <laughs> and I was making his plate to take down there. He said, Daddy, I got to eat fish at great-grandma's house in front of great-grandma? See, <laughs> great-grandma don't play. If it's on your plate, you better eat it. <laughs> he was scared to death. I said, don't worry, son. She can't get up and chase you. I said, you just come back up to the house. But it's a place of fellowship. It's a place of sustainment. It's a place of closeness. It's amazing. God, the Lord, calls Lazarus out of the tomb. We never have a record of him being back at the tomb. But we see him sitting at the table with the Lord. Let me ask you this morning, have you found your place at the table on a daily basis with the Lord? Do we find ourselves faithful to the table that he hath prepared for us? I appreciate you understand, i got a lot going on. I feel like I'm fighting battles all over the place. Don't worry. He said hey, he'll prepare a table in the presence of our enemies. There's nowhere that God cannot prepare a table. He hasn't prepared for you this morning. The question is, are you showing up and sitting there? Did you find yourself at the table of Sunday school this morning? Did you find yourself at the table of Sunday night service? 
midweek service, Monday morning devotions, Tuesday night prayer, will you find yourself at the table with the Lord in your daily life? Lazarus had a clear place. Lazarus had a clear prognosis. Notice number three this morning, Lazarus had a clear poll. Verse number nine, much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. And that he came not, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he hath raised from the dead. Look at Lazarus, he's out there. I mean, he's, he's out there strumming up a crowd. <laughs> he's out there, Lazarus out there with his bullhorn preaching at these people. He's out there drawing up a crowd. He's out there being a firebrand. He's out there using shock and all tactics. He's out there trying his best to, to, to amaze these people with what God has done for him. Well, the Bible said he's just sitting at the table with the Lord. And matter, here's the interesting thing. We don't have any direct words of what Lazarus said. There's no recorded words where Lazarus said, hey, this is what happened to me, boys. This is how it happened. This is what the Lord did. But yet, there was something about Lazarus that not only did the Lord draw people, but the testimony of Lazarus was drawing people in that direction. His testimony stirred the hearts of others. Why? He had something they didn't have. He had experienced something they had never experienced. He has gone from death to life. They could just tell there was something different about Lazarus. He had something they didn't have. They could see it how he lived. He no longer lived like a dead man. He no longer lived like he used to live. Now he's living as one who has life eternal. His testimony stirred the hearts of others. Verse number nine said, they, they came to see the Lord, but also to see Lazarus. But notice this, he stirred the hearts of others, but his testimony pointed them to Christ. Lazarus said, well, thank you so much for coming to see me. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished, <laughs> which would be absolutely nothing without the Lord. His testimony pointed them towards Christ. Look at verse number 11. Because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Lazarus, how do you go from death to life? Well, you join the synagogue. You go to church. You study the word of God. You become a Pharisee. You do this, 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 this. That's how you go from death to life. They said, Lazarus, how did you do? How did that happen? Lazarus said it was him. It was Jesus. He just called my name and I obeyed. And he let me experience something that nobody else had ever experienced. The kind of testimony they wanted to kill was one that pointed them towards Jesus. Can I say this morning, I want to have a testimony that'll cause people, that cause the world to want to kill me. Because everybody who comes in contact with me, everybody who God allows me to cross paths with, I point them to Jesus. I don't know anywhere, I don't, I don't, I don't know that much church history on this part of Lazarus, but I don't think any, they, I don't think they killed him. He just kept pointing people to Jesus and showing them the right way and how, and how, what Jesus could do for them. He had a clear poll. Let me ask you this one. Who are you pointing towards Christ? They look at you and they see something different about you and they, they give you the accolades. They say, man, you are a wonderful person. There's just something different about you. And you say, oh, it's not me. It's Jesus Christ, the one that saved me and changed my life. Now, here's the thing. When you evoke the name of Christ, expect pushback. In our society, you can talk about God. You can talk about a higher power. 
You can talk about a, a, a spirit out there in the vast universe. You can talk religious matters, but don't you bring up that name. Because the second you bring up the name of Christ, everything changes. I was watching a documentary on History Channel. You've got to be careful with History Channel. Half the stuff they tell wasn't actually history. But it was about the Colosseum in Rome. And it goes through the construction of it. But I've seen somewhere it said martyr. came across the screen. I said, well, I want to see what, that, what, what they talk about. I understand through history there was many Christians that their lives ended in the Colosseum. They talked about a man by the name of Ignatius. He was a leader in the church of Antioch, which where they were first called Christians was in Antioch. Our Bible comes through Antioch. We understand that this morning. Antioch was a special place that God used, the church that God used in Antioch. He used in a mighty way. This man's name was Ignatius. And he was brought before the governor, Roman governor there in Antioch. And the Roman governor said, I will let you go if you'll just declare Caesar God. Ignatius said, I cannot do that. I cannot say that Caesar is equal to Jesus. I can't do that. And so his punishment was death in the Colosseum. It's an amazing story. They said he traveled, I can't remember how many miles he traveled from Antioch to Rome to go into the Colosseum. Along the way, Christians who were concerned about him, Christians who had heard what was going on, tried their best to allow and, and make an escape for Ignatius. They said, you can just leave. You can, well, 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 by night, they would try to pull him out. He said, no, I will not leave. I will not run from this. This is what God has designed for me and desires for me. God is going to allow this to bring glory to his name. So Ignatius made the trip to Rome. And they brought him into the Colosseum. And his, his punishment was death by mauling or death by animals. A line to be specific. History says that Ignatius walked out there as calm as could be, praying and asking the Lord to use his life for his glory. He prayed and calm as could be, Romans all around him cheering for his death. They released the lion and the lion laid down. And they thought they had never seen that before. Ignatius didn't run. He didn't say, well, look, the lion's laid down. I'm free to go. He just stood there and continued to pray. Eventually, the lion got hungry and mauled Ignatius. They said his testimony in that Colosseum affected so many. See, Rome was trying their best to squash out Christianity. They were trying their best to get rid of it because it, it went against what they believed and what they taught and the control that they had. Matter of fact, Ignatius' testimony is one they killed him for. But through it, many came to trust Christ and to see that God was real. Can I say this morning, I want to have a testimony that they'd want to kill me for if it brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ this morning. Are we pointing others toward Christ? Let's all stand this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed.